We're going to start in uh, Hebrews 11. Again. Now, a couple things before I get started. One is, uh, again, the announcements that were made, they are... Flyers at the back table in the hallway out there for the mother-daughter tea party, as well as the teen dance dinner uh, Devo that's going to be happening. Uh, there is no charge for the Devo, but again, the mother-daughter tea party. There is a $20 fee, but if you just want one of these, they're all on the back table out there uh, as well. So just for your information, that is there for you. And uh, again, we are not having a midweek this Wednesday. So the, the build, we do not have the school, so if you're going to have D time or a party or whatever, just not here, um, just to be aware of that. And we have a, two more weeks before we start our English-Spanish service that's going to be happening. So, amen? So beginning in May, we're going to have two services, 10 o'clock and 1 o'clock. So I just want to make sure and communicate that to everybody uh, ahead of time so you know what's going on. Uh, we've been having some great midweeks, and uh, there's some the great devotionals, and we've been doing that all the way up till June. But in July, we're going to switch things up a little bit. I know uh, on the calendar it says marriage, parenting, singles, but we're going to start men and women. We're going to do some things later on after the summer. But for right now, it's the way it is. I'm just giving you a heads up. Because Friday, we had a good singles devotional, and uh, John T. did a good job. Uh, I say T. because I'm Talawali. Hello, John T. did a good job. And after he got done, I got up and I shared some things. So I just want to clarify a few things here because I want to make sure we're all on the same page on this. I had, uh, and so this is like a service announcement, public service announcement. I had talked about building, and uh, really that is a, a term that we want to get away from in our singles dating ministry. And what I mean is, um, for one, there are so many different cultures in New York City. And we can't take one American culture and make everybody conform to that one culture. So the, the terminology and the way that was done is probably, well, it isn't the best way to do it. Because what we want to do, we want to encourage the singles to date, to have fun with a lot of people. Enjoy yourself. This would be one of the best times... I know a lot of people that couldn't even come close to having a date with a woman as great as we have in the kingdom of God. And so this is a blessing that we have. But sometimes there are things in the world that we kind of creep into the church. And what could happen is one brother could say, I'm building with this sister here in the Bronx, and I'm building with one in Brooklyn and one in Manhattan. And if you're doing all this building, but this one sister thinking it's just me and you forever, and you're like, I got like three options, sister, I'm sorry. That's not encouraging to the sisters. So, in other words, let's not talk about, build, I'm building with this one person. Because if you're building with one person, then you're no longer encouraging other sisters. So we want to encourage people, we want to have fun. If you find somebody you're interested in, Okay, that's a whole other subject. Now you can start dating instead of just talking about building, which could take five to ten years. What is that? So anyway, I'm just saying, when we get together at our next singles devotional, I do want to talk about this. I want to have an open discussion on this. 
because we really need to grow and encourage each other in our dating relationships. And that's important. So we're going to do a lot, a lot of things with other regions. We're going to start combining Harlem, Brooklyn, Manhattan, our singles doing stuff together, not just on the all-eve thing, but other stuff. And that's why we got to get this organized and together, unified, before we start all that, so we're not building all over the place, but that we're building God's kingdom and encouraging each other the way God wants us to. Amen? Because rejection is not, that's not a fun thing to do. You know, I grew up in Nebraska, and now all you do in Nebraska is eat, cow tip, and play football. That's about the extent of what we did in Nebraska. And when I was in seventh grade, seventh grade, young man, I got cut from the football team because I was too small and too slow. Now, this is seventh grade. That's demoralizing in seventh grade when you get cut and all your friends playing, but you're too small and too slow and go sit over there. So that kind of affected me for a while. I mean, I just didn't even play football for years. And in Nebraska, that's not normal for you not to like or play football because that's all they have. But people handle rejection differently. You know, some people, when they get rejected, they want to go isolate themselves. They want to just go home and veg out. Some people turn to drugs or let's go to the bar and drown our sorrows. People turn to different things. And even a lot of people that we may consider famous were rejected at one point or another. Let me give you some examples. Harrison Ford, we know Harrison Ford from Star Wars, Indiana Jones. When he first started out, he was told by a number of movie executives that he didn't have what it took to be a star. Walt Disney was fired from the Kansas City Star in 1919. The editor said he lacked imagination and had no good ideas. Rudder Kipling was the author of the Jungle Book, Ricky Tikki Tabby, and uh, Captain Courageous, and many other books. But he was fired from the San Francisco Examiner in 1889. He was told by an editor that he didn't know how to use the English language. Winston Churchill repeatedly ran for office and was defeated every time until he finally became the Prime Minister of England at the age of 62, just before World War II. Oprah Winfrey was fired from the job as a TV reporter because they said she was unfit for TV. The Beatles were rejected by several recording studios. One of those record labels famously said, the Beatles have no future in show business. And one of the best has to do with Clint Eastwood and Burt Reynolds. They were close friends, and they were both fired from Universal Studios on the same day. Reynolds said, I was told I couldn't act, and Clint was told he, was, he walked too slow and his Adam Apple was too big. As we were on our way to our cars, we were quiet. And finally I said, you're in trouble, Clint. I can take acting lessons, but you can't get a new Adam's Apple. Rejection isn't fun. It's a painful thing. And the hero we're going to look at in our story today was someone who was rejected, probably rejected more than any of us here in this auditorium. In Hebrews 11, verse 32, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jethro, David, Samuel, and the prophets. 
Today we're going to look at a man named Jethro. Turn over to Judges chapter 10. You may not have ever heard of this guy before, but he is in the Hall of Faith. And there's one section about him in the Old Testament that we're going to read today. It's a, it's a good little section, but we're going to read it all today so we can get the whole story of Jethro and what went on with him. Because his father was a prominent man in society, but his mother was a prostitute. So when his father died, his brothers, they didn't just disown him, they forced him out of not just the family, but the city as well. They said he had to go. You have no inheritance because your mother isn't our mother. She was a prostitute, so you have to go. And again, different people handle rejection differently. But in this case, when Jethro handled rejection, instead of turning to the world, he turned to God for security and for help. Let's pick up and we start out in Judges chapter 10, verse 6. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Asherahs and the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And because the Israelites forsook the Lord and no longer served him, he became angry with them. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites, who that year shattered and crushed them. For 18 years they oppressed all the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan in Gilead and the land of the Amorites. The Ammonites also crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah, Benjamin, and the house of Ephraim, and Israel was in great distress. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, We have sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. Now here's the catch. Look at what the Lord says here. When the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, Sidonians, Amalekites, Ammonites oppressed you and you cried to me for help, did I not save you from their hands? But you have forsaken me and served other gods, so I will no longer save you. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them save you when you are in trouble. And those are some harsh words from God. Because so many times they say, he's just a loving guy. He's going to always rescue me. Right here, he says, look, I done did enough. And you still turning from me? Let all those false gods you worship rescue you now and see what happens. So there comes a point that we got to realize, I need to repent and quit this cycle of sin. But the God of who he is, in verse 15, but the Israelites said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do with us whatever you think best, but please rescue us now. Yeah. Then they got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord. And he could bear Israel's misery no longer. You know what was interesting here as I'm reading through? I'm picking more stuff here. They were calling the God to help them while they still had their foreign gods. You notice that? They didn't get rid of him until after God said what he said. So they want to rescue him, but still hold on to their piece of the world. In chapter 11, I'm sorry, verse 17, when the Ammonites were called to arms and camped in Gilead, the Israelites assembled and camped at Mizpah. The leaders of the people of Gilead said to each other, whomever will launch their attack against the Ammonites will be the head of all living in Gilead. Jethro, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead, his mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when they were grown up, they drove Jethro away. 
you are now going to get and you are not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. So Jethro fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a group of adventurers gathered around him and followed him. Sometime later, when the Ammonites may warn Israel, the elders of the Gilead went to Jethro from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander and we can fight the Ammonites. Jethro said to them, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? Now think, how would you respond if that was you? Oh, you done drove me out, and now you want me to take <laughs> What? But, look at how he responded, verse 7. Jethro said to them, Didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, Nevertheless, we're turning to you now. Come with us, fight the Ammonites, and you will be our head over all who live in Gilead. Jethro answered, Suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? The elders of Gilead replied, The Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jetha went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head over head and commander of them. And he repeated all the words before the Lord in Mitzvah. Then Jetha sent messengers to the Ammonite king with this question. What do you have against us that you have attacked our country? The king of the Ammonites answered Jetha's message. When Israel came up out of Egypt, they took my land from me, from the Iran to the Jabbok, all the way to the Jordan. Now give it back peacefully. Jethro sent back messengers to the Ammonite king, saying, This is what Jethro says. Israel did not take the land of Moab or the land of the Ammonites. But when they came up out of Egypt, Israel went through the desert to the Red Sea and on to Kadesh. Then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Give us permission to go through your country. But the king of Edom, Edom would not listen. They sent also to the king of Moab, and he refused. So Israel stayed at Kadesh. Next they traveled through the desert, skirted the lands of Edom and Moab, passed along the eastern side of the uh, country of Moab, and camped on the other side of Aram. They did not enter the territory of Moab, for the Aram was the border. Then Israel sent messengers to Shehan, king of the Amorites, who ruled in Heshbon, and said to him, Let us pass through your country to our own place. Shehan, however, did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. He mustered all his men and encamped in Jahaz and fought with Israel. Then the Lord, the God of Israel, gave Shehan and all of his men into Israel's hands, and they defeated them, took over all the land of the Amorites who lived in the country, capturing all of it from the Aran to the Jabbok, and from the desert to the Jordan. Now, since the Lord, the God of Israel, has driven the Amorites out before his people Israel, what right have you to take it over? Will you not take what your God, Cheshmash, gives you? Likewise, whatever the Lord our God has given us, we will possess. Are you better than Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever quarrel with Israel or fight with them? Three hundred years Israel occupied Heshbon, Aurora and surrounding settlements and all the towns along Aran. Why didn't you retake it during that time? I have not wronged you, but you are doing me wrong by waging war against me. Let the Lord judge, decide, dispute the dispute this day between the Israelites and the Ammonites. The king of Ammon, however, paid no attention to the message Jethro sent. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jethro. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. 
And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to me, meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites. The Lord gave him into his hands. He devastated 20 towns from Aurora to the vicinity of Minnet as far as Abel, Kirim. Thus Israel subdued Ammon. When Jethro returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of tambourines? She was an only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh, my daughter, you have made me miserable and wretched because I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. My father, she replied, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised. Now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites, but grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends because I will never marry. You may go, he said, and he let her go for two months. She and the girls went into the hills and wept because she would never marry. After the two months, she returned to her father, and he did to her as he had vowed, and she was a virgin. From this comes the Israelite custom that each year the young women of the Israel of Israel go out for four days to commemorate the daughter of Jethro the Gilead. Incredible story. Let's go to God in prayer as we begin. Almighty God, thank you once again for allowing us to be here today. And I do pray that we will learn whatever it is that you want us to learn from your scriptures today. God, help us in our hearts, help us in our mind not to be distracted by anything in the world or what we have to do afterwards. But let us just give focus and attention to you today. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Great story of Jephthah. He is in the hall of faith. The heroes of faith. Now, why is he in there? Let's talk about what it is about him that God saw that made him somebody that he would put in the hall of faith. Number one, Jephthah knows the Bible. He knows the Bible. When he was elected to lead the army against Ammon, the first thing he tried to do was to negotiate with the king. So he sent a messenger over there. And that's what he says in uh, verse 12 of chapter 11. He says, uh, Jethro sent messengers to the Ammonite king with this question. What do you have against me that you have attacked our country? See, he knows if he goes to war, people are going to die. This is not going to be a good thing. So he tries to send a delegate. He tries to negotiate with them so they don't have to fight. The king returns back and says, hey, our land was taken from us 300 years ago and we want it back. So what did Jethro do? He quoted the Bible 100% accurately to him. He said, that's not how it happened. Israel was passing through and they didn't want to fight. They didn't want anything but to pass through. And the king said no and sent an army to attack them. And so in turn, they defeated them and took the land. You ain't getting it back. We fought about it. We want it. You just got to stick with your little fake gods and let them give you what they want. But our God gave us this land and you cannot have it back. Here's the thing. He knew the Bible so accurately that he quoted the scriptures to him with 100% accuracy. He not only quoted it, but he believed this very thing right here was the words of God. He didn't think it was just the, 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 the prophets. 
He said, this is from God. I totally believe the promises in it. Then first of all, this goes to us. Do we truly believe it? We say we believe the Bible. Do we believe that what is coming from this is not from your preacher, not from your parents, not from your mission team leader, but this is from God calling us to do what he's calling us to do? He believed it so much that, in fact, it got God's attention. Now, you think about that. In the Hall of Faith, you got Abraham, Moses, Samson, David. You got all these great people and some women in there, Sarah, Rahab, and then you got Jephthah. And you're thinking, well, he didn't conquer things for hundreds of years. He didn't rip open lions. No, no, no. But he knew his Bible. And that impressed God so much that he knew his Bible. Look at what happens here in verse 29. Judges 11, verse 29. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. He crossed over Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah and Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. It says here that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. Now here's interesting. In the New Testament, because Jesus died, his Spirit, the Spirit, is able to live within us. So now that is what directs us and guides us, God's Spirit. And if you notice, after he died on that day of Pentecost, they no longer cast lots. They cast lots right before uh, uh, the new covenant started because they had to choose somebody to replace Judas. So they cast lots and they got Matthias. But that was the last time lots were cast because they didn't need to cast lots because now God's spirit is going to live within us and guide us. So that's the New Testament. The Old Testament, the spirit wasn't living in them. God was with them, but he wasn't living in them in that way. So at that time, the Spirit of the Lord would come upon people, even though it may not have been in them. And there was only ten people in the Old Testament that the Spirit of the Lord, the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord came upon them. Samson, David, Daniel, Gideon, Jahaz, it was ten people and Jethro was one of them. Why? Because his knowledge of the Bible and his faith in the promises of the Bible so impacted God that God said, this is the kind of person I want in the hall of faith to show people that the word of God has meaning in their life. He was somebody that they rejected. He's the son of a prostitute. We don't want him. They kicked him out of the whole city. He was rejected by man, but honored by God because of his faith. This is what we need to see. That's how God works. God doesn't just take the big extravagant things. He can take the things that the world thinks is crazy and uses them to glorify him. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. You know, God says it doesn't matter how low the world thinks you are, I can make you a hero of faith. Look at the people he chose. Moses stuttered. David's armor didn't fit. Jacob was a liar. Solomon was too rich. Abraham was too old. David was too young. Naomi was a widow. Martha was a word work. 
Jonah ran from God. Gideon and Thomas, they doubted God. Jeremiah was depressed. Elijah burnt out. Timothy had ulcers. Peter was a coward. Lazarus was dead. And then Jephthah, the son of a prostitute. All the people the world will reject are the people that God honors. Incredible. That's in the Bible. But you know what? There's people in this room right here that the world rejected, and they're doing great things for God. In this very room, you can look around and you can see testimony after testimony of people the world rejected. They used to be on drugs. They used to be on, on alcohol. They had bad marriages. But now God has said, you're my son or daughter. I think of my daughter. He took a deaf girl, made her a disciple. Now she's studying the Bible with other people. God does incredible things. I think of my wife, a woman that was divorced, led three different churches, and now God gave her a good-looking man. That wasn't no joke. What's that happened there? God can take anything. You may be sitting there thinking, woe is me, and why is it so bad, and what am I going through? Because he may be ready to use you to do something more incredible than he could have before. God can take anybody and do anything with them. My marriage isn't that good. Give it to God. Let's see what he'll do with it. If he made the universe, he can change that marriage. I'm having a challenge with my kids. I'm having a challenge at work. Give it to God. But what does that mean? First of all, are you really praying about it? the way you should, if you're giving it to God. Not just in the morning before you go to work. Are you praying about it throughout the day? Asking other people, pray for my marriage too. Help me. Let's get a prayer chain going. Let's get a prayer warriors going. Are you doing it to God? See, a lot of times we say, I trust in the Lord, but what are you doing about it? And see, this is the amazing thing. First of all, he knew the Bible, he knew the scriptures, and he trusted in the scriptures of God. Do you trust in the scripture that God has given you? Now, Jethro was a man of faith and destiny. But there's a problem in Jethro's story. And some might call it the elephant in the room. Now, when you say an elephant in the room, what do you mean? Well, that means there's a, there's a, there's a situation going on that everybody knows about, but nobody wants to talk about because it's uncomfortable. Uh, don't act like y'all know what I'm talking about. We got some elephants up in here. We got some lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. We got a whole zoo up in this bad boy. But I'm going to be the zookeeper, and we're going to straighten this bad boy out. But there's things that people don't want to really talk about. We got friends in our lives that we know something ain't right with. But we're like, ah, if I talk about this, we may not be as good of friends as we used to be. Or I may step on their toes. Or I may, you know what, how about we just be godly and see what God does with the situation. But sometimes that elephant is in the room and we don't really want to address it and deal with it. The story of Jethro, there's an elephant in this story that we don't really want to address sometimes. And that's the fact of him sacrificing his daughter. We look at that and we're like, well, wait a minute, this just doesn't make sense. That's not right. And there are scholars who debated on this. Did he really do it? Did he not do it? What's going on? Let's look over here in Judges 11, verse 30, first of all. Let's talk about this for a moment. 
Let's bring this elephant on out the zoo here. Judges 11, verse 30, it says, And Jethro made a vow to the Lord, If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return and triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. And then in verse 34, when Jethro returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of tambourines. She was an only child. You know, I read this, I first thought, okay, when you come home, you have one child. Who else you expect to come out? And I started thinking, well, but wait a minute, though. You know, back in that day, they had, like, a lot of lambs and, and different things that they would care for, like a child, and live with them in their house. And, and many of you guys may have pets, and you open the door, that animal, boom, wants to go out right away. So maybe he's thinking, you know what, when I get home, this lamb's going to jump on out, just run out the house real quick, and I can sacrifice that. And it, it'll hurt because I love him, but that's, you know, I'm willing to do that. But that's not what came out. His daughter came out. And he just was in shock. You know, sometimes we make vows to God, and we say, well, God, I was just, I was just being emotional at the time. I didn't really mean it. Like, that's supposed to just be okay. You know, there are things that in our lives that we just can't haphazardly say and just expect it just to always go okay. He's the only child. You know, there are a lot of vows we make to God. The question is, am I fulfilling my vow? Am I being a man or a woman of God that when I say it, it's going to be done. It doesn't even have to be a vow if I am a true Christian. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. We've got to ask ourselves, how much integrity do I have before God? How often do I not make my weekly contribution because other stuff comes up? How, how much am I really focused on giving for this special contribution you know, it is what it is. Whatever happens, happens. Really? I mean, is that how seriously you take your vows to God? Look at what it says here. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 21. Uh, we'll put it on the screen in case you don't get it. But Deuteronomy 23, 21. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it. For the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. Then he says in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 5 and 6. Ecclesiastes 5, 5 and 6. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? You know, we say we're going to live by the Bible. Everybody said that Jesus is Lord. When you got baptized, you said Jesus is Lord. I'm going to make the Bible my standard. I'm going to do what the Bible says. Amen. And the Bible says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. How often are you going to be angry or unresolved with somebody? 
The Bible says, do not even let a hint of sexual immorality. See, this isn't a preacher talking or your mission team leader. This is what the Bible says in Ephesians. Not even a hint. How many times we try to rationalize and get around that? Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. This is a new command. Not love your neighbor as yourself. Because sometimes we selfish. Love the way Jesus has loved them. You know what? He forgave people before they apologized. He was quick to forgive. He cared for the poor. He cared for those in need. He was a hero to those that needed him. These are the words we said we're going to live by. These are the things we made a vow to. We vow to read our Bible and pray every day. I'm going to spend time with God every single day. Are you a man or a woman of your word? Because this isn't about the preacher and you. This is about you and God. I don't know if you do or don't. You are a grown adult. You do what you need to do. If you can say, Jesus is Lord, you are a grown adult. But now it's between you and God. So are you fulfilling your vows to God? See, this isn't a make you feel bad lesson. This is a wake us up lesson. Because, you know, this, this was in here, and if God had said, you know what, Jethro, you don't really have to do that, and gave all of us an excuse, we would be milking that excuse for eternity. He got to go back on his vow, so I can too. Because in our nature, we look for the easiest way to make things happen. Where is the area of least resistance? That's where we want to go. But you know what? God spelled it out here, and Jephthah was left with his vow. Now, I don't believe at all. He even talked about Deuteronomy 12, 28. God does not want people to sacrifice people. But we've got to remember, this wasn't God's idea. Jephthah was the one that made the vow. God didn't tell him to make this vow. You say, well, why would he sacrifice his own daughter? Well, Abraham was going to sacrifice his son. God sacrificed his son. So it's a matter of looking at the heart behind what was going on. Did, did Jethro really do it? God knows his heart or whether or not he really did it. And God really does know our hearts too. And I, sometimes our heart is making all kind of vows that we don't fulfill. And one day we may wake up like Samson and the Lord has left us. Because we can't just be making all these vows and promises and then we don't fulfill it. Now, here's one of the things. Because Christians are good people. Y'all good folks. Let me talk country for a minute here. Y'all good folks. Sometimes we no longer have boundaries in our lives because we get folk. In other words, if somebody asks you something, sure, yeah, I'll do it. And we overcommit ourselves so much that we don't fulfill our vows. We don't fulfill what we say we're going to do. So in our minds, we could be doing the right thing for the Lord, but yet you're not. Because think of the example you're setting, even for your kids. Jethro was a man of God. You know why? Because his daughter came out and said, you know what? You made a vow to God. Even if it cost me my life, I want to help you do whatever it takes for you to stay right with God. This is how committed even his kids were to God. So talking to all the young kids up in the room here today, are you helping your parents stay faithful to God? 
See, so many times the kids think they need to help me. No, are you helping your parents stay faithful to God? We've already told our kids, if we start fighting and arguing and it's not stopping, you need to call Uncle Sam real quick. Not the government, Sam Powell. It'd be dialing the IRS. <laughs> you need to call somebody. You have all rights to call somebody on us if we're not dealing with what we need to deal with. Amen. Do your kids feel free to do that very thing? And sometimes my youngest one, that little thing there, be picking up the phone for no reason. I'm like, no, put that thing down. We all right. But do your, your kids feel comfortable doing that? Have you set an example for them so strongly with God that they know God is important to them? Let me share this for it with you. Legend has it that during Marco Polo's celebrated trip to the Orient, he was taken before the great and fearsome ruler Genghis Khan. Now what was Marco Polo, a merchant and adventurer, supposed to do before this mighty pagan conqueror? One false move could cost him his life. He decided to tell the story of Jesus as it was recorded in the Gospels. It is said that when Marco Polo related the events of Holy Week and described Jesus' betrayal, trial, scourging, crucifixion, Genghis Khan became more and more agitated, more engrossed in the story, and more tense. When Marco Polo pronounced the words, then Jesus bowed his head and yielded up his spirit, Genghis Khan could no longer contain himself. He interrupted bellowing. What did the Christian God do then? Did he send thousands of angels from heaven to smite and destroy those who killed his son? Khan did not understand. The idea of God's son dying at the hands of man infuriated him. But what did God do when his son was crucified? He had done the unthinkable. He offered his son to die in our place. And why did God, Genghis Khan, why did God do the unthinkable? Because the alternative was even more unthinkable. If Jesus didn't die for you and me on the cross, we would have had to suffer a life of hell. To do the unthinkable, letting his son die for us, the warrior couldn't understand it. Everything in him said, fight, kill, destroy. But the God of our grace realized, I'm doing this for the benefit of those who don't even know him yet. And that Genghis Khan cannot understand. Jesus took our place. He took our rejection on himself. So he could die and we could live. This is a very important thing. Jethro may not have been the, the battle hero with all the gruesome, gory stories, but he was a man that knew his scriptures. He was a man that fulfilled his vows to God. He was a man that shows us on a day-to-day -day basis how we can live by faith. Not just one great victory story, but a lifetime of victory stories. He took his vows seriously, and he did not let the people that hurt him hold him back. You got to remember back to the beginning of the story. The same people that kicked him out is now coming to him saying, hey, we need your help. He responded as a man of God. And he listened and he followed God's will. I want to encourage us today. We have a couple more stories to go through here in Hebrews chapter 11.
But I want to encourage you, there's a lot in this hall of faith. Each of these people have a lifestyle that we can imitate, that we can follow. As we walk away here today, let us walk away. I must know my Bible. I have to know it. I have to be in it every day. This is what puts people in the hall of faith. And I've got to commit and fulfill my vows to the Lord. We do that. We ourselves will one day meet Jethro in heaven, and we'll have a conversation beyond all conversations. And to God be the glory. Amen.